Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. You know the deal by now, guys. As always, we are brought to you by Rogue Radio and Rogue Country. I'm really fucking happy to be working with these guys. I always find new music. I always find new things to get passionate and excited about. People kind of talk about you lose interest in music after you turn 25. It's just everything that you like is just nostalgia driven and that's just not true man if you actually give a shit about music which i assume you do because you listen to this podcast but when you really care about music it doesn't matter when it was made what matters is the feeling and the emotion behind it and rogue radio and rogue country do a really good job of playing the legends that do pull on your nostalgia heartstrings and you do make you think about those good old days but they also fucking just platform amazing modern artists and to me, there's no other better platform for modern roots, country, folk, and blues singers than Rogue Country. So please go check them out. If you're listening to this podcast and you think, I can do better, I want to voice my opinions on things, I'm passionate about this subject, I really love this type of music, go do it. We can work together on this. I'm an affiliate for Podbean now, which is a cool thing, where um, if you sign up using the link www.podbean.com, forward slash into the van and sign up you get a month free and i get a month free so you know it's mutually beneficial if you want to start a podcast which i 100 percent recommend you do you know there's no difference to what i do here than when i play on stage people's have this mental barrier of is my opinion worthwhile is my voice worth being heard surely someone will listen to it and it doesn't matter how many people do as long as you are creative and you give a shit people will gravitate towards it so head over to www.podbean.com forward slash into the van sign up through there you'll get a month free i'll get a month free and it'll just be a beautiful thing where people are creating podcasts and you know interesting things they care about and releasing them into the world for other people to enjoy so go do that now as always as always we are brought to you by my record the next life i'm super fucking stoked on this record it's my debut album it took me you know two years to record it's on vinyl it's on cd it's on digital and yeah these nine tracks mean the world to me it's the hill i'm dying on for the foreseeable future so i'm going to drop in a little teaser now
and I really hope you dig it. If you do, head over to mikewest333.bandcamp.com and you can pick up a copy there. Yeah, I'm so happy I get to do this podcast. I get to talk to people I didn't really know about before. Austin Sterling reached out to me and, you know, was like, hey, you've had a few of my friends on your podcast. Can I jump on? I checked out his music and was like, fucking hell yes, let's do this. Booked him in and had this amazing talk. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's about reaching people that you may not have really known about before. And, you know, I talk about in this podcast, I wanted it to be a face-to-face podcast. I didn't want to have to do virtual meetings, but I'm so glad that, you know, I broke that rule pretty like quick off the bat because I wanted to talk to interesting people. If you are wondering where any UK artists are, I've got them lined up because I know once COVID dies down, once this pandemic breaks, I will be seeing them soon. We will be doing these face-to-face podcasts. So why, you know, why have them on now to do virtual ones when I can meet them face-to-face, have a drink with them, have a catch-up and make it a proper experience? So in the meantime, you know, I'm exploring the people who are reaching out to me. I'm, you know, thinking of the people that I think are interesting to talk to and reaching out to them. And I'm so fucking glad that Austin reached out to me about this podcast because I had a blast talking to him. It's a diverse conversation as well as trying to find out about his music and stuff. It's finding out about him as a person. And I think we really connected on this. It was a really fucking fun talk. So let's do it, guys. Without further ado, this is Mike West and Austin Staley. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Awesome. So we're rolling in and this is like, it's not like, I don't have questions really lined up and stuff. It's more just a conversation and stuff. But obviously with everything that's happened, I don't know if you've had an issue, but like this week seems to have just been, I've been super just like depressed about the state of music and things. Obviously canceled shows all last year. And then I was just kind of sitting here this week and it was like, I don't have anything to really book. I don't have any gigs. I don't have anything to really push. And it was just kind of like feeling that kind of like stagnation and like stuck in the mud. I don't know if you've been grappling with that feeling lately or since last oh, year. Yeah. yeah, man, I think we all have, you know, um, if you, you know, cause it sucks that as musicians, like we have to be on the road really to make, money nowadays most musicians you know um we got to be on the road playing consistently and um not only just to kind of like survive and make a living but also to stay relevant and stay in front of people and stay connected so that's taken away and you know uh now we're left to try to figure out this whole online thing which, you know, some, some people really like that, you know, and they, they enjoy being all techie. I don't really enjoy that, you know. To me, it takes away from writing songs and playing, mm. you know, music and stuff like that. So that sucks, and that's been kind of an ongoing struggle. But I'm getting closer. I've got, like, maybe another month, and I'm going to have a whole live stream set up here at home to where it sounds good and, you know, that was the other thing was I didn't want to do the live stream and it sounded like garbage for yeah. people, you know? Yeah. That's always like the thing. And one of the things that kind of bummed me out was last week in the UK, like on top of the pandemic taking tours away, we had Brexit, which meant we were no longer part of the EU, which means yeah. I can't gig Europe anymore. 
like easily, which fucking sucks because I love Europe. Yeah. But then we have like the performing rights society who collect royalties and shit over here. And um, they decided to add a fee to live stream gigs. So if you wanted to do a live stream gig, you had to pay them a fee to then. Oh my God. Yeah. So then you had to pay them. I think it was like 20 pound or something. If you were going to make oh, less than 250 wow. quid, you needed to pay them a fee to get a license. So they would then collect royalties on your behalf down the line. That's in the UK. And that was in the UK and it's been a huge kickoff. And like, there's been other like places like the music venue trust have kicked off about it. And it's, they've said, we aren't going to do it as long as venues are closed. But once venues are open again, all live streams are going to have a fee on them. So I'm like, I'm going to leave the PRS after this because it's just a bullshit dick move. But that was like another thing on top of like feeling shit about this. It was like another little kick when you're down for live streams as well. Yeah. That's crazy. Because, I mean, there's probably plenty of people that don't, that wouldn't even cover that from a live stream. You know, if they're doing it weekly or something like that, they're probably, you know, they might not even get that from some, you know, from a live stream. So then they have to, like, pay out of pocket. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I can't believe that. Like, I just don't know what it is about, like, the music and creative industry where there's always a middleman who seems to take a bigger cut than the people who are actually creating it and the people who are enjoying it. Yeah, I I think about it often. It's weird. Unfortunately, it, it's a weird thing. You know, we can we can sit here and we can like bitch about streaming and all that kind of stuff. And I'm and I'm guilty of it too. Like I gripe about it, but I also use Apple Music. You know what I mean? And I stream everything. I don't buy CDs or albums and, you know, um and it is super convenient, you know, and I understand why people like it. It just sucks because there is that middleman who's totally like taking advantage of it. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, we as consumers are just enabling him, you know, the middleman to yeah. be able to like basically capitalize on everybody's hard work and creativity. Um, yeah, I wish a good scenario came out to fix yeah, man, it. I'm, I'm hoping that like people kind of talk about how this is everyone's taking a step back and reassessing how shit actually works. And I'm hoping the music industry gets a rejig because it is just middlemen constantly just yeah. a huge cut of things. And you, it's, you never understand why. Like with the PRS thing, it was like, we're going to charge you for a live stream. And I was like, I like messaged them and stuff. And I was like, so you're charging me to play my music in my house on my internet connection and I have to pay you for that. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, I was like, go fuck yourselves. Like, That's crazy. Are people just not paying them and just doing it? People are just flat out refusing. I know a lot of people are canceling their memberships and stuff. This is a bigger backlash and I'm hoping it leads to a change, but who knows at the moment. Yeah, man, I think if everybody just kind of put their foot down, was like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. You know, then they wouldn't have a choice. They can't. Yeah. I mean, they can try to find everybody or whatever. They, I don't know. Smack you on the back of the hand. I don't even know what the repercussions are. Yeah. But, well, whatever it is, they can do whatever they want. They can go fuck themselves. Yeah. But, you know, going back to you and your music, Salve, your album came out in 2017. How long have you been performing under, you know, as Austin Sterling? Yeah. Uh, man, four and a half years just under my name. Um, I think something like that, maybe coming on to five years. Um, yeah, it was, uh, so it, 
So it's a saw. It's a saway. Saway pronounced. It's a actually a Latin term. Mm. Uh, I probably should have thought a little bit ahead. That you know, people read it. They're like, well, not everybody's going to read Latin and and notice that that's recognized as a Latin term. But uh, yeah, like uh, I came out with saway. Uh, I think coming up on like five years, four and a half years ago, something like that. And just had to transition from like, you know, cause I was going as the hang, hang dog hearts and I needed to just kind of transition from that. Um, it was too confusing. Cause I play with such a mis mismatch of uh, musicians and different lineups. And sometimes I'm solo, you know, um, and I'm playing like different styles of music here and there. Sometimes it's like real singer songwriter, like these next handful of songs I'm releasing this year are all like, very like singer songwriter like straight down the middle Mm. but as we get into the fall i'm gonna start releasing like more rootsy kind of creepy music no so yeah uh it just i think it maybe afforded me like a little bit more flexibility you know Mm. and stopped confusing people they were coming to shows like hey where's you know this musician or that drummer or that bass player and i just got tired of explaining (laughs) you know that's really interesting. So with the Hang Dog Hearts, it was more of like a collective things and it was like... It was still... No, it was still me solo. When we first started, didn't even really like mean to start it off this way, but it just happened that there was like seven of us in a band and we just started... We, were, we just got together to jam mm. and I wrote a couple songs and nobody else would get up to sing and I don't consider myself a singer. So I would be the only guy that got up on the mic to actually sing the songs when we were just in a buddy's garage jamming. Then we were kind of like, man, we're actually, we're actually not too bad. Like we're actually pretty tight and Mm. the songs are, we felt like they were pretty good. So we just spent like a solid year playing open mics. And, um, and then we started getting like booked for gigs and stuff like that. And, but then people just kept falling off and we'd bring somebody else in new that they would fall off. And before I knew it, like the whole band was just gone Mm. and it was just me and we had gigs booked and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm playing these solo. So the hang dog hearts thing turned into me just trying to keep it going. Yeah. And then I still tried to like build the band up. I was I've always wanted just like a solid band, you know, I, I don't like playing with, I love the people I play with, but I want it. I want like a tight knit group, yeah. you, you want know, like a stability to it. And a- yeah. Stability to it and all that kind of stuff. And it's just never worked out, you know? Um, so it always just kind of turned into me just, you know, keeping things moving. And um, so I had to kind of, I didn't want to use my name, you know, I don't think that highly of myself <laughs> to where I need to like call it me. Mm. But after a while, I just kind of, just like I got forced into singing. Yeah. That's not what I really wanted to do. I just kind of want to sit in the back and jam, you know? <laughs> um, but I got pushed into it. You know, it's like, if I wanted to do it, then this is what I have to do. Yeah. If I want to play music, this is, so this is the same thing. Like if I wanted to keep it going, I kind of, need to accept the fact that I'm a solo artist. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely a fine line. Cause I was in a band when I was like 20 odd and 
the second like the thread starts to unravel on a band, it's so hard to try and keep it together and bring people in. And then even if you do bring someone else in, like the dynamic changes and stuff, and yeah. that is the freedom of being a solo artist that is pretty like unparalleled. And it it's a big thing that like as a solo artist, I want to put a band together and stuff, but I want to have a bit more control over things because you can literally like someone will be like, can you do a gig here? And you'll go, yeah. Cause I don't need to check with anyone else to yeah. do it. And the more people get added, the, like the more complex it gets and that then yeah. it from the most important thing is to actually play the music. Right. Yeah. And um, it, it is in a lot of ways, it's a lot less headache. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, especially, you know, before I was married, you know, I did a lot of tours just by myself and, um, you know, I did many tours with friends and people playing with me, but I did a lot just alone, you know, me driving for hours just in my van and, you know, that got, I'm an introvert, so I like my alone time, but like that even got kind of lonely, you know, like I was like, this, this sucks, you know, I'd like to hang out with some people and have fun and joke and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to it, but I think at this point, I'm used to steering the ship and making the decisions and stuff and having the kind of say so of where things are headed, Yeah, you know? So I think somebody would really have to prove to me that they were, are going to be like a dedicated part of like the band and that I can rely on them for mm. me to like give up some control. Yeah, man. Which I'd love that. I'd love if that, if that was the case and what happened. Yeah. Cool, man. You were saying about like, that like reticentness or reluctance to use your name like Austin Sterling was the because obviously there's like the White Buffalo Amigo the Devil right. Toast and stuff who perform under monikers did you think about carrying on with like the Hangdog Hearts as just like the name or did you think of anything else well then because I because I use like obviously I perform under Mike West that's like a shortened version of my first and last name yeah but again it was like did I miss an opportunity to name it something else and name this project something different that's not just our name yeah i um i i think a big another big part of it you know so hangdog hearts happened and then my wife and i got married and once we got married i kind of did i kind of faced reality i'm like i need to i'm doing this really difficult very demanding career and I need, or I need, I've got my foot in both, hmm. you know, music full time. And then this very like challenging career. So I need to make up my mind. I can't have my foot in one or the other. Well, this career that I was in, um, I was heading into taking over the company hmm. and just really basically just being set like, you know, hard work and stuff like that. But like, literally, I mean, I was looking at making more money than I can even explain, mm. you know, <laughs> and it just seemed like socially the thing, the, yeah. the thing I should, I should do, you know? So I did that for a year. I quit playing music. I didn't play music. I was off social media. I barely picked up my guitar and, um, it was depressing as all hell. Like my wife was just like, you're not yourself. Is that Dean coming through? Yeah. Just a touch, but it's fine. I mean, text messages. But... 
Um, but it, um, it was a difficult. So my wife finally was just like, no, you're not, you're going to, you're playing music. You're not going to do this. You know, like uh, you can do your job or whatever, but you got to play music. So anyways, push came to shove and I just decided to leave that career and all that money and do what's where I really feel like I can be used to like reach people, you know, mm. um, in that, in that industry, I didn't, all I was doing is yelling at people, you know, and having to get on people about money and stuff like that. And I don't like that. That's no, it was soul sucking for me. So walked away from it. And so I think a big part of that shift was needing to make a new change, like a new mm. kind of a new identity, a new goal of like why I'm doing this. So that was another kind of reason for the name change. Cool, man. No, that's really like admirable. Like I know, like I'm getting married in October and it was, um, you have this kind of societal, like nagging of you need to be stable. You need to provide, you know, like a stable family, get an income that's completely regular and stuff. And that is not necessarily detrimental to, being a musician and being creative but it's definitely a hindrance to it and you realize that if you have a supportive like wife or a partner like Siv she's like great she's been to all my gigs and stuff she understands that this is what I need to do it's not something I want and I think if you have that partner it sounds like you've got the same where it's like they understand that this is what it is yeah and and we did i mean we did our homework we didn't just flightily you know i see people making big life moves and stuff big changes because well i feel like i'm supposed to do this i'm supposed to open this store because that's where my drive and my passion is and everything but they don't do the homework of like no okay financially what does that look like you know my wife and i sat down for the better part of six months or more almost every night we looked at our finances. We talked about it. We talked about the pros and cons. We whiteboard a lot. So we got whiteboards. Well, you can see my big whiteboard behind me, but we got two whiteboards in our bedroom that we just are constantly scribbling stuff on. And, um, I mean, we, we were constantly throwing ideas, pros and cons and weighing it all out and trying to really think of every angle. And luckily for us, like financially, we live way below our means and we don't really want for much, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's things, everybody kind of has it in them. You know, there's a guitar I'd like to buy. There's, you know, this piece of music gear I'd like to get, you know, but we really are good about being pretty realistic. It's like, eh, I don't really need that. It's yeah. just going to be a waste of money and a waste of space once it gets here. And um, So we don't really need a lot to survive on, you know. And luckily, I... Um, there's it's it's hard at times especially right now where it feels like it's hard for me to like make money and contribute mm. you know it's it's really difficult but um really man like i look at this as like a a ministry for me like it's just my way of like being kind to other people mm. and like trying to like change other people's lives and i'm not saying i'm trying to get everybody saved and make them believe in god or anything like that but even just like spread some like goodness to other people. Like this is my way of doing that, you know? Um, And just being kind and loving to people. Like I feel more like myself being a musician and doing this full time than I did when I had to go to a construction site and um, yell at people, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, man, like the music thing, it's, you don't realize that like, it seems stupid and people talk about it so much, but at the heart of all music is you're trying to connect with someone. And that's, I think, what this kind of pandemic and situation has shown is like when you kind of lose that connection is like when you start on shaky ground as like a musician is like you kind of lose sight of what you were doing it for. And like, even I miss like one of the big things about playing live was you get to scream for like half an hour or an hour or two hours and you get to like yeah. vent and decompress and it takes like a stress off you and that's bubbling back up. But it's an interesting thing to just see that music is this thing that needs spreading. Like it's always a necessity. Like even with all the pandemic and everything, people worrying about venues closing and stuff. The one thing that's a certain is music isn't going away. Like venues might, but music won't. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. What did you say there at the end? So it's just like venues will go away, but music won't. Yeah. And luckily we have the internet to where we can still share all that. And, um, you know, I don't, it's a crazy time, man. It's crazy. But, you know, I, I think on the other end, other side of this, hopefully, uh, music followers, like people that appreciate music, hopefully that'll open their eyes a little bit more to like how much musicians really rely on them, yeah. you know? You know, yeah. there's no possible way musicians can survive if people aren't willing to go out to shows and um, it's impossible, you know. Yeah. If you're out playing shows and people don't and make the effort to come out and see people play, you know, um, hopefully they see the importance of that. Hopefully, like I've been seeing a lot of, like you see, like artists like Ed Sheeran or Adele, whoever are like holed up in their mansions. They don't need to do anything. And if people kind of don't realize that that's all they'll be stuck with if they don't support like the grassroots stuff is you're going to be stuck with these popular artists that people always complain about. And it's always the people who are rallying for like, I want that darker stuff. I want that roots music that I haven't heard yet. Like I want that different challenging thing. And they don't realize that that's going to go away if, these like artists aren't supported and like platformed yeah and i you know i think we all feel that at times like i i'm i'm in this wholeheartedly for the long haul man but there are days where it's i'm just kind of like i don't know what i'm doing you know <laughs> like yeah. i don't i don't know what i'm doing here and um it it's a drag you know it it's, can be really tiring and it's um i thought i thought working in the construction industry and you know being a general contractor and stuff like that was pretty difficult and stressful mentally but there's on a, on a in a different way this is even more yeah mentally trying you know cuz you have people's voices in your head you know just kind of telling you you know um, you know, I've said this on other podcasts, but you know, I've got, I've had, I've had people make comments and I've got a couple people in my life that, um, are very, um, very negative towards the whole, what I do, mm. you know, and very, um, kind of tell me not to, that I'm really not accomplishing anything, that it's not a real job, stuff like that. And as much as I don't believe them, it's hard, you know, 
yeah, it's still great. It's like even like if you've got like the most like strong constitution, like a constant torrent of negative comments just eventually chips away at like even even the strongest like will. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard, but you know, luckily I got my wife, she's in my corner, you know, and she's just she's so supportive and it sounds like, you know, you know what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah, because it's even you were saying about like, you know, people need music to get through stuff, but the musicians need those people as well. Because I know I've been down in the dumps the last like couple of weeks and just someone has like messaged me or commented on something being like, oh, I was listening to this or I've picked up this. And it's like, oh, fucking that's that's like a huge deal. Even just one person giving a shit like can pull you through it. Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah, man. Um, So what's what's it been like over in the UK as far as like lockdowns and stuff like that, are you guys still dealing with all that? Yeah. So we're in like another national lockdown that I think they're looking at easing up in March or April. And that's been since the the end of January, I think. And I don't know what it's going to be like, but I also like since this kicked off, like I remember reading about it in January of last year. And kind of bracing myself and mentally i've like i've depressed everyone i've said this to but i've written off up until 2024 basically especially from like a uk standpoint because not only is it the pandemic we've got brexit which is decimated eu touring and it's oh. meaning that i'm gonna have to rely on uk touring which isn't you know like i love the venues i've played in the uk and i love uk fans but Europe, you've played there. Like Europe is such an amazing, welcoming place to go. Yeah. So that's kind of been an issue. So I don't know what the UK scene's going to look like coming out of lockdown and coming into like this new, you know, whatever the music industry and music venues are going to be. But again, with the challenges I like got at the moment, I've got a camper van that I tour out of. And I'm looking at just buying some shit to build a stage that I can put to the way the door opens. Yeah. And I'll fucking play houses and I'll play fucking car parks yeah. and anything that I can do that'll be interesting and fun for me. And I get to like hang out with people who I know will dig it. I'll just, yeah. uh, so that's what, that's where my head is at the moment for what the UK is. And you know, the UK, I'm building my own stage and I'm going to travel around a bit is what I'm looking yeah. at. That's great, man. I mean, you got to do something and, I'm hoping the house show circuit kind of gets a little bit bigger and people um, start. If the venues aren't going to be allowed to have music, you know, hopefully some of these people who are like all about it will say, you know, like through this, we're going to have music ourselves, you know? So um, I don't know. We'll see. But I think that's a great idea. Mm. it's just something to kind of like break the monotony but you've toured obviously the u.s and in your bio you've toured like over like 16 other countries and stuff what have your experiences been touring in the u.s and then compared to like say like europe have you been over to the uk before uh no we tried to get over there um but it was just too i think the restrictions and things were a little trickier than jumping from europe to the uk yeah, that's what I always hear, man. Like, I was talking to him, 20 Watt Tombstone, and they played Europe, and I was like, are you going to come over to the UK as well? And they were like, it's just a ball ache. Which, yeah. 
again with Brexit has just added like another level of ball ache to it. But yeah, what yeah. have your experiences been touring? Uh, well, so my first tour was really interesting. I was over uh, when I was in the U.S. This is however many I don't even know how many years ago this was. There's still a lot of smoking in the bars here in the U.S. But um, I was playing and I was losing my I could only go maybe three, four shows. And I was losing my voice. I'd play like one, two, three, and then my voice would get weaker and weaker and I would be losing. And I'm like, I'm like, am I seeing, am I just blowing my voice every night? Like what is going on? And um, so then we booked a Europe tour for uh, 38 nights, you know, 38 days straight, a show every night. I was kind of worried because I'm like, man, I can't even get through three shows without my voice blowing. And we got over and it was completely fine. And the only difference was there was no smoking mm. in the bars in Europe. No way. And so I discovered that I'm allergic to cigarette smoke, but it was such a eye-opening thing that I was like, that's awesome. So when I came back to the U S I started requesting to bars and venues. I'm like, no smoking during my, sh- my set. Cause I can't, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll lose my voice and um, all that kind of other stuff. But um that was really interesting. That was one of the biggest like differences I saw. But now most of the places there's no smoking in the U S there's still some, you know, you go to some podunk town and you'll, you know, they'll have, everybody's got a cigarette, you know, and it's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> but yeah. Is it like uh, a law in the U S now? Cause I know in the UK that it's just a flat out law that there's no smoking indoors and in pubs and things. Uh, well, the U S it's just, it's kind of like everything else. It's state by state, you know, and then uh, you get to some counties who get to make their own decisions on certain things. So, um, you know, a certain state might say, you know, I think almost every state it's illegal, but I think you get to into some counties mm. and they're like, eh, we're fine. Yeah. Or there's some towns that are just small enough and nobody cares. They're just, they just go smoke, you know, yeah. even if it's illegal or whatever. And that's fine. Whatever. I mean, to me, that's kind of the beauty in America a little bit. It's like, you know, if, if everybody in this area is cool with it, then like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like you guys do your thing, you know, um, I just won't come play your bar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember um, when like the smoking ban came in, I remember I went to this club. I always went to like this uh, biker bar. I remember I saw like the ceiling and shit for the first time. I'm like, I remember walking in and there wasn't just like a cloud of yeah. smoke, like four foot thick, like, yeah. like seven foot up. It was crazy, man. Like how much that like law changed stuff. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild what the uh, smoke does in those bars and the soot on the ceiling tiles and stuff that you can see. And um, it's, it's nastier than people realize, but um, yeah, man, um, people, are very much more supportive in Europe as towards the arts, towards music. Um, They treat musicians 10 times better than they do over here. I mean, we would go places and people are feeding us and, you know, really cared, like making sure that we had some more sleep, you know, and there are people that do that over here, but not like in Europe. No. Um, It was crazy. Yeah. I remember in Europe, Europe when I was like booking stuff and they were like what's your fee and I'd say it and then you'd be like okay and do you want bed like bed and board and as well and I was like is that a thing <laughs> like holy shit that's yeah. 
Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but I'm kind of weird, man. When I'm on tour anymore, I'm just – I stay in hotels and stuff because I don't like staying at random people's places. Mm. Um, I don't – I don't – I don't party, you know. I don't I don't drink or anything. So it's really hard. Like, I love hanging out and talking to people and stuff like that. But it there's – then it kind of comes to this point where people want to, like, party and drink all night. Yeah. I can't do that. I'm just, I'm tired. Like we play the show and I can chat for like an hour and a half or so. And then I am just exhausted. I want to go to bed. I don't get the uh, liquid energy, you know, like liquid courage, like <laughs> drink. And then I'm like all revved up to go the rest of the night. Um, so I, I like staying in hotels and stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah, man, I've got my camper van that I sleep in for the most part. And then like, if I was playing a gig and they had accommodation, I'd be like, let me see if this. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I always ask. I'm like, what? What does that mean? You know, <laughs> I had a couple. I've had multiple venues say we have accommodations. And I showed up, and literally, the accommodation was you can sleep on the stage when we when we close. <laughs> so there were a couple places I played where um, I slept on the stage before anybody was even closed. I just laid down behind the monitors and uh you know my blanket and uh just passed out on the stage and you know you're 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 smelling all these weird smells off the stage that you're like you don't know what it is and mm. <laughs> so yeah i tried to I'm, I'm with you i'm like what what are the accommodations yeah like um with coming up to europe and tour and stuff was that off the back of your first album or was it like did you have kind of like rumblings in europe of people who were digging your stuff so you came over or was it like as like a what, what's the word to, like to kind of advertise like a new album and try and engage with people um i there were people in europe that were asking me to come over and um i got a couple emails from a handful of people saying um if, if you come over, we will book you shows. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. I can, you know, I can be there in June or whatever it was. And they, and they started kind of booking shows. And, um, and then I think they, they didn't mean to, uh, I think they got to a point where they're like, Oh man, I'm having trouble booking to make your time worth it. So then they passed me on to uh, another guy that, really kind of took over and hmm. uh, toured management and stuff like that. And he drove for me and, you know, and, and we toured all over. It was, it was a blast, but luckily enough, I had people that were, were asking me to come over and, um, you know, kind of took it from there. So, which was really cool. Yeah. Cool. Man. I saw when I was like doing a bit of research for this podcast, cause you did an interview with him, Tom from old style music nights in Belgium. Yeah. yeah. Who's a fucking, great guy who's a huge supporter of like roots and the scene and yeah man i think if anyone he, he goes to of, yeah, he was one of the guys that hit me up uh about coming over mm. yeah and then he hooked me up with kurt debont yeah from a roots town yeah so um and i think i was i think i was kurt's like first full out tour tour management thing nice and once he got his feet wet with me, I think he 
then he quit his job and then he started doing, you know, which was really cool to kind of like share that with him. And I love Kurt. Like, I wish I could come back over, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to for a couple of years and, um, it financially, it just doesn't make sense, you know, for where I'm at, unfortunately. Um, I'm, 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 when I do, I'm hoping I break even, you know, when I do go over there. And and then when I get back to the U S I was hoping it would like give me some clout with venues and stuff, you know, and they would take me more serious. No, (laughs) you know, really? Yeah. They're still kind of like, okay, how long can you play and how cheap? No, you know, it's still the, it doesn't matter what you've done or whatever. So it's crazy, man. It seems that like in the UK and in Europe, like, an American act coming over has this kind of weight and a prestige to it that doesn't like, if I were like play in the UK, like it doesn't have that same thing. Right. It's, it's weird how it doesn't translate kind of the other way. And cause you always hear about like UK or EU acts trying to break the States. And yeah. It never seems to be people just need to like work their ass off and chip away at it. But what do you reckon? Like the dividers, do you think it's because, you know, roots is an American off form like almost where it's like that's the pioneers of it i think i think the u.s is just tough man like Mm. there's so much over here and there's so many people doing so many different things and um everything is so accessible and they have a different mindset than like when i'm over i see how people in europe are towards music like people in the U S are just very, I mean, they just take it for granted, really. I mean, to be honest. Um, and so you're, you're trying to go and break into a place where people are spoiled and they take it for granted, Mm. you know, and you're trying to go and it's hard, man. I, you know, one out of every, you know, 20 people are really going to sit and listen and, and appreciate, you know, mm-hmm. and I felt it like in Europe, it was like eight out of every 10 people were sitting and appreciating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the drastic difference. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a crazy thing. Well, what's the scene like? Cause you are in a North Salem, is it in Indiana? Yeah. We, now I'm in a small town called Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, we moved from North Salem. We had a house fire and we lost our house and had to move from the family farm. So now we're in a small town um, in Pittsburgh, about 20 minutes away from North Salem. I'm actually kind of 20 minutes closer to Indianapolis, the city. Um, But yeah, what were you, sorry, what was the question? Is, is there like a root scene around you guys or is it? No, No, man, it's a very kind of small town, I mean, I don't know of any bars. There's a couple bars the next town over that have like cover bands, mm. but you got to go into Indianapolis and to get like live music, stuff like that. Mm. Um, and even at that, like original live music is very, uh, it, it struggles. You know, if you're in a cover band, you can play every night of the week and make a living easily, Mm. you know, but if you're playing originals and stuff, you're, you're going to have to tour, you know, 
it's crazy, man, how like similar the US sounds to the UK in terms of that kind of narrow-minded like focus and like the cover bands here are huge and that's all people really want to hear. And it's it's yeah. weird because America, especially like as a British person, it's so like mythicized to be this huge place where, you know, obviously there's all the stories about people not making it and things and it's a struggle, but it's always kind of pitched as this is the place to go to be heard and it's weird when you hear people like kind of contradicting and saying that it is a grind you've got the cover bands to compete against and trying to find that niche is really hard yeah i think i think like anything you know there are pros and cons i think there are a lot of there's probably some truths into that you know on some level but for the most part it's like the people that move to hollywood because mm. they want to become a star they want to become an actor and then they get there and they realize literally every waiter, every bellhop, every, everybody moved there to be somebody, you yeah. know, and they realize it is very oversaturated and it is, you know, it's kind of like, and I might make some people mad when I say this, but it's kind of like Nashville. Mm. I, I personally think Nashville is a, is a joke in the sense of people wanting to move there to become a star, you know, now I will say there, there's truth in you, you move there and, and it's like moving to Hollywood to be an actor. And it's like, everybody's an actor. You need to move to Nashville. And it seems like everybody's a musician and everybody's a really good musician. And then you realize how far you have to go. You're like, Whoa, I'm not near as good as I thought I was because you move and you see these people who are struggling right alongside of you and they're 10 times better than you, you know? And that's why I laugh because I've known a handful of people that are like, I'm moving to Nashville. I'm going to become a songwriter. And, and I'm like, do you realize like the songwriting scene is almost more overly saturated than the like musicians on tour doing, you know, because, because I'm like breaking into that world is that's, that's tough. That's yeah. more, real tough, you know. Um, it it's a, uh, and then people are hit with the, the the harsh reality of what they move there, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, there's a lot of really talented people here." Which is really cool if you want to build a band with some yeah. really super talented people, you know. But you're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> they're that's, not doing yeah. free. Yeah, that's the weird thing, man. But with like yourself, it seems like you've gone around the beaten path. And I know doing some research for this and stuff, like how you kind of approach things is different. And you've popped up on a few different podcasts. Obviously you reached out to myself to do one. Do you think that's kind of an advantage? That Because I know everyone kind of jokes about podcasts popping up and everyone does them, but right. no one's really utilizing them in the music well, right? Really like there's obviously you see like, the LA comic scene of Joe Rogan and you know all those folks using podcasts but you don't see musicians kind of taking it up really like have you seen like was that in your head when you started trying like gallon some more like like getting on to, to chat like with people yeah. like and stuff like that um not really man I'm I'm honestly I'm bad at self-promotion <laughs> I don't enjoy it and um I don't think that highly of myself to where I have like tons of ideas of like, Ooh, I think people would love to hear this about me and hear this about me. Like, you know, um, 
I'm just not that big of a douche to think that I'm <laughs> that cool, you know? Yeah. So um, the self-promotion thing, the social media, the online stuff, it's a thorn in my side and I understand it's necessary. Um, I like doing podcasts. Like I like getting on and just chatting with people. Um, I mean, you're in the UK right now and I'm sitting in Pittsburgh, Indiana, (laughs) you know, uh, in my studio or whatever. It's just kind of, uh, it's funny and that's cool to me. Um, but I didn't, I'm, I'm slowly trying to get better about that stuff. So seeking out podcasts and trying to talk to people um, or actually responding if somebody hits me up about a podcast. Cause I used to not, I would respond. I'd be polite and be like, Hey, thanks for hitting me up. Not right now. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to do it, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I have to, I, I really should <laughs> Yeah. Um, as much as I'd like to, but um I try to be strategic about what I do things, but I also, you know, there's this premise of, um, of buckets. So you've got eight buckets in front of you and each one of them holds a thing that you're into. Like, uh, you know, I really like building things. I really like doing this. I like drawing. I like art. I like video games or whatever the things that people are into. It's like, you only have so much time for what's in those buckets. Yeah. So like, choose your buckets wisely, you know, maybe narrow it down to two or three and really engulf yourself in those things. So that's kind of what I try to do. That's kind of how I try to compartmentalize priority, you know, mm-hmm. what, what is worth my time and things like that. And, you know, and it goes into every Avenue. I, I look at shows that way, you know, I'll get offered a show. It's, you know, can you come play for four hours for the door? no, like, no, I I can't do that. You know, it just doesn't make sense for me. Um, so that goes in a bucket that, you know, I'm not gonna, yeah, that's a dry (laughs) bucket that's in the corner with like a cobweb in it and shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) just not, I don't have time for that, you know? So, um, yeah, I I try to be smart and strategic, but Mm. cool. And that makes the most sense, like with the marketing and things. And I think if I didn't have this podcast, this year and a bit would have been really fucking boring. This has been something that's like been fun for me as a person to do to obviously you're in yeah. Indiana and I get to like talk to people that I enjoy their music of and get to chat and stuff. So that's a bonus for me. Like I've had a few people like request this or I've thought, and I'm like, would I actually enjoy doing that? Or is it just taking a box and stuff? And it's a really interesting thing is like where you focus your time because you only have a limited amount in a day and in a yeah. time and stuff. Yeah. I, you're good at it too, man. Like I, uh, just like, just talking like a lot of people, um, cause I, over the years I have done a lot of, whether it's a podcast or kind of a radio interview or, uh, whatever it is. Um, a lot of people are, you're ready. You got quick, you got a, you got a question ready you got topics like you keep it going. A lot of people don't do that, man. And it is, those, those are rough. You know, those are hard to like talk with people back and forth and, and banter off each other, you know? And I don't know how they expect their podcast to grow because people, people don't want to sit and listen, you know? And then there's that weird dead air, you know, it's like kind of like people don't like that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's a weird balance, man. Like what I do is like 
for a little behind like the veil i've got a weird document that i've kind of highlighted like shit from like stuff you've sent me over bio like and things that i've kind of highlighted that i think are interesting but also as i'm like thinking about what this podcast is going to be i'm just kind of like thinking about what i actually give a shit about in terms of what i've been thinking about that day and then i just kind of see if you'd be interested in what i've been thinking about for that day because it's just something that like because at the end of the day this is i want it to be a conversation i want it to be something that you find value in because i've done radio and things and you get asked like the same like what are your influences and i sometimes like to ask that question and stuff and but you get the same like five or six questions i remember once in one radio thing i got this really weird question of like are these people attractive or not like pulling <laughs> up like these celebrities and i was like come on man like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's but you do you do a good job man and i think uh you're you're like your interest in what you're doing it, it comes through because i i think it's very natural for you and you you seem um excited about what you're doing you know thank you man the only thing like i'm gutted about about this podcast is it was it's called into the van and i wanted it to be out the back of my camper mm. and the first few episodes i did were face to face and like you actually get to like talk to someone and i wanted to set up a rule where i wasn't going to talk to anyone online that i didn't already know because uh-huh. i didn't want to like do virtual meetings i wanted to meet you face to face but obviously that's never going to happen and i get to talk yeah. to people like yourself now which is a bonus and a benefit in it all itself. So that rule is completely gone out the window. Cause I, why would I limit myself? I wouldn't get to talk to like people like you, but right. um, it's just a weird thing with like how you view your creative process and how you view like what you actually enjoy because with whatever you're doing, like music or podcasting or arts, it's like at the very, like if you boil everything down to it, you should enjoy it. And I think, what you've done is you've taken the different styles of genres that you enjoy and fused them together, which has given you more freedom. Do you think with your albums and stuff, that's been a conscious effort to be like, I'm enjoying this thing more in like 2019 when you did the spring summer. Mm. And then you kind of draw that on for that record. And then like with wolves, you draw on something else. Um, I, so I, I don't, um, I honestly, I, so I, I'm continually, I'm, I'm continually writing. I'm continually recording. I record, I track everything here at home. I mix everything here at home. Um, so I'm continually working on stuff. Mm. I might bounce away for two weeks and go build a piece of furniture or something. Um, but for the most part, like I'm here in the studio writing, recording, working on that stuff. And, um, so I've constantly got songs in the works mm. uh, and I got them all on this whiteboard. So like it's full of songs that I haven't released yet. And mm. I've probably got 40 something songs to say. That through. is a lot of whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes further uh, this way that you can't even see, but um, it, it's uh, I'm, I'm, so as I'm going along, I start to set group the songs. I'm like, Ooh, I really like, this version because I might write a song and record it three, four different times. Cause I'm like, I don't like that. I, it's not, it's not working. Like I think I don't like how that take is. I don't like, so I'll just scrap it and completely start from scratch again. 
I push it on the back burner and put it on a hard drive, you know, and back somewhere. But for the most part, so I'm continually going and I'll start grouping the songs together like this, these, this goes with this song, this feel, you know, and I'll start building albums as I'm going along. So then once I got one that's pretty close to like done, or I feel like it's a good time to put that album out, Mm. then I will start being like, okay, zeroing in on those songs. And that's what I did with, so this last group of songs are, like I said, very singer songwriter. And then in the fall, I'm, I'm planning on doing these more very rootsy, you know, banjo driven type stuff. And then by the winter, my plan is I've got a group of, and it might be an EP, it might be two, three, it might be six songs, I don't know, of like heavy, darker, kind of doom metal-ish nice. type so the beginning of the year is like singer songwriter then i'm going to end up in like this weird doomy i don't even know what you know harder stuff yeah Uh, so yeah that's kind of how that's kind of how i do it you know yeah cool man and like with like because you brought a single was it last week or the week before (laughs) love death and wandering that was uh yeah last last friday yeah like that seemed like a completely like it seemed like a more fuller like rich like expanded sound compared to you know the banjo driven things you do and stuff what was the process behind you know writing that single when did that first like come to you so that song originally the song's called home mm. i put the love death death and drifting because that's going to be the album title by the time it's done so oh, cool each month it's going to be home love death one and whatever and then the next one's going to be standing in the rain. That's the next song for this, this month. Mm. Uh, so then by the time it's done, they'll all be on one album. Um, home originally was like a bluegrass song. Um, very bluegrassy kind of a, kind of a bluegrass kind of hop to it, you know? Mm. And that's originally how I wrote it. <clears throat> that's how I tried to record it like twice. And I didn't like it. It sounded cheesy watered down i it just didn't have the vibe i was Mm. wanting and then i wrote out this really cool drum beat and i was like that's cool and i just kind of will sometimes i do that i'll just pick a song that i don't have a good recording of that i like so i just happened to grab home and played it to that beat changed the chord progression everything up sang it differently and it became a whole different song i just used the lyrics and that's and but i was like dude this is it like i love how this sounds you know yeah um because i've got you know to me that's more it's more bluesy it's more it's definitely kind of rock and roll you know what i mean but like i've got a handful of songs that are like more bluesy almost funk not funk but it's got that vibe to it yeah like i've got a handful of songs that I'm just kind of waiting, you know, and I might put them out this year or something. I don't know, but they're, uh, they're definitely, they don't sound anything like me, you know? So and is that like a daunting thing to write those types of songs? And obviously you've got like three albums under you that at the moment as like your solo project. Is it daunting to write something where it has like a funk vibe to it and then wonder, because that's, like when the fear starts coming in of you start thinking, are you writing for your audience or you're writing for yourself? Um, I think I'm more so than, 
Well, I'm very, very confident. I definitely write for myself because um, if I tried to write anything, I had somebody recently hit me up, a close friend, and he was like, he was meaning well. I think he was drunk. Uh, He was messaging me. Uh, But he was like, man, you got to, you got to do the darker, creepy, heavier stuff. He's like, you got to leave this like soft, basically the soft stuff that you're doing. You got to leave that stuff and you got to do this and you got to write. You're not writing from the gut basically. And I was just kind of like, okay, well, I appreciate you saying that, I guess, but it, it, it confirms to me because I can't, if I try to write a certain way, it is not good. It yeah. is not good. At all. And I just have to, just like I grabbed that song home and played it to that drum beat and I was, and I just kind of went with it mm. and I just liked it. I was like, this is cool. So I don't know. I I've heard some people say like you're doing yourself a disservice because you're playing all these different styles of music under your name. So you're going to confuse people and people aren't going to, you know, and, and maybe I don't, maybe that's true. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I'm trying to do is like, I'm just trying to put out like the best songs that I can yeah. with what I'm with what I got. And I don't have, I don't have the capabilities to have a really good producer or a really good, you know, I don't have the money to pay all these different musicians to just come in and play all these songs, mm. you know, with how much I write and record. So I'm trying to just do as much as I can myself, you know, yeah. I think that's definitely like the best way because you see artists like Stagel Simpson who had you can see as like definitive phases in albums and people be like well I don't like Sailor's Guide to Earth because it isn't as bluegrassy as like High Top Mountain and stuff it's like then go listen to High Top Mountain those songs still exist and it's the same thing as when you see like films reboot or remake I'm like, well, that's not as good as yours. I'm like, then go watch the fucking original then. Right. <laughs> like, you don't realize how hard it is to, like, as a musician, to keep creating something that's interesting for you. Like, I've got a song that's got a bit of, like, a blues, like, chain gang riff to it. And one guy once was like, you just need to write like that. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to write a riff like that? That right. actually every, sounds interesting. That doesn't sound like any other riff that everyone else does. Like, yeah. there's only so much you can do on a three and a five on, like, the fretboard. Yeah. And that's, I, uh, I remember I started to play with uh, a drummer friend of mine. It was just us like a two piece. And I started to do a lot of open tune garage blues, slide guitar, started to play a lot of that stuff. And it was started to really like, it was really going that way. And I was just like, man, this is so like, there's only so much I can do within this realm. Yeah as a two piece, you know, and like, I'm an okay guitar player. I'm not, I'm not fantastic, you know, so my capabilities are going to reach and they're just going to plateau. And so is the sound of what we're doing, you know? Um, so I kind of backed away from that, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a reality of, um, I think I would be doing people a disservice. People that say that they like my music and they follow my music. I think I would be doing them a disservice to not show them fully who I am musically. You know what I mean? And that goes with, Hey, I'm going to put out this batch of songs and you might not like it because it's not the side of me that 
you're into, you know, you probably like this other stuff better, but I'm trying to be honest and transparent and, and give you the best songs that I, that I got, yeah. you know, that I can write. Yeah, man. Like, so I'm always trying to do that. Yeah, definitely. As a songwriter, it's important because it's not just albums on just like yourself. It's yourself in that period of time and it's yourself in that mind like state of mind so each album and each like release or each song is showing you a different part and people don't necessarily get that like the same way that your mood changes your songwriting changes so it's like this is what i wrote at this point of my life because this is how i was feeling and they're like but i wanted you at that and i'm like well i was depressed back then so i don't really want to write like that at the moment yeah i've heard yeah i've heard people say since you've gotten married you're not writing near as like whatever and depressed or you're not you're not as like raw as you were and the funny thing about that is a lot of the songs i'm i still put out i wrote before my wife and i were even together so like (laughs) i'm like ah jokes on you you know what i mean and i think i'm kind of gifted in the area i'm able to tap back into those those times Mm. i'm able to go back and remember what those breakups you know those hard relationships were like um, you know, my wife and I still talk about, you know, we're five years into our marriage. We still talk about our relationships before we were married. And I process those with her because it helps me for one, like I appreciate her so much more, mm. you know, I'll tell her a story about, you know, that I had with an ex that threw a drink, slapped me or something or whatever it was. And, um, I'll tell her this story and, what I do, what I'm doing in the process is remembering how bad it was and how mm. good it is now. Yeah. And she's, she'll, she'll do, she does the same thing with me. So being able to do that with her is also, I feel like helped me songwriting because I, I feel free to like go back into those times mm. and feel that, that emotion I felt, you know, um, I'm not, I'm all, I've always been somebody that struggled, struggled with anger, I guess, mm. just kind of like um, just ready to tussle at any moment. And, um, you know, just, I don't feel that way anymore, but like, I remember what it felt like, yeah. you know, because it's still there. It's still there within me. I just got better at fighting that urge to throw down with somebody at any moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm gifted in that way that I've grown as a person and, and even my soul is, is strengthened, but I can still go back into those times, you know, and, um, I don't know. I don't, I think that's other people's projections of like, you're not raw anymore. You're not, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm lying to myself. I also think it's because like once you do albums, like it's easy for people to start putting you into eras. So then like, even when you look at Metallica, it's like, you see them like, well, that was that young alcoholic phase. That was after they lost Cliff. This was when they grew up and cut their hair. And it's such a reductionist way of viewing people that I think not that many other like artists get put into those type of things apart from like musicians where they get so like, decisively like well between 1973 and 1977 kiss were good and after that they sucked yeah yeah it's it's not fair 
it's not fair to say that. I mean, and I mean, there, there probably are cases of musicians that just kind of gave up and they just started, um, one, one that I always think of when people like have this is the offspring. Mm. Think of the offspring. I remember way back in the day, their first handful of albums, you know, um, it was very, you know, punk rock, you know, like, mm. yeah, it kind of teetered towards like the, the pop punk, but that wasn't a thing yet. You yeah. know, they were still just kind of playing songs and they were writing punk songs and they're playing, you know, it wasn't sex pistols or anything like that, but like for that era, what punk was, you know, they were, they were doing it or whatever, whether people think it was good or bad, but then they started like writing shit like pretty fly for a white guy it's you know what i mean and i'm just yeah. like oh my god but whatever they were they were making money off of it yeah. and if that was their goal cool good for them like you know they're cashing in writing cheesy jingles basically <laughs> but like they're making money but you know i you know my my son's like 13 now and he's he's all about metallica mm-hmm. and black sabbath queens of the stone age like he is like a little metal head, but he's also learning, you know, about, you know, Ryan Adams and singer songwriter stuff and all this other things. But he, uh, it's interesting to watch cause he is, he loves the early Metallica stuff. He's all, he loves basically before the black album. Mm. He's, that's, that's like his, he loves it, you know? And he has no, he has no like, reason to be like oh after the black office suck or anything like that he just naturally is like dude i love the early thrash (laughs) sound you know um and it's very because he's looking at it with fresh eyes you know like we grew up seeing that stuff progress so we don't have the fresh outlook on it and it's really cool to see him and he's like he kind of confirms like yeah this stuff was really good you know the later stuff uh, but but he's really like, but we'll sit and talk and he's, he's still like, but I really do like, you know, I do like their newer stuff too. Even their like real, real recent stuff. He's mm-hmm. like, it's still pretty cool. Like I like it, but he's like, I prefer yeah. <laughs> kill them all and all that early stuff, you know? So that's fun. Yeah. Like I always wish the same way that you could like, wish you could go back and rewatch a film for the first time or read a book for the first time. I wish I could go back and listen to Master of Puppets for the first time. Yeah. Or I still remember when I first heard Ozzy Osbourne and I remember someone lent me a DVD of what was in like a metal magazine. Yeah. And it was um, a live version of War Pigs from the 70s. And I remember that feeling. And every time I hear War Pigs, I think of like that feeling again. But I wish I could go back and experience it again. Because yeah. there's nothing better than when you're a kid and you find that music that you like latch onto. Dude, it was so pure back then too. Like, cause I'll talk to him about stuff and bands and uh, he loves white zombie, like mm. not Rob zombie. He loves white zombie. So, and I remember I'll talk to him. I'm like, dude, I remember riding the bus to school in fifth grade and it was winter time and you can see the blinking of the bus light on the snow and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to White Zombie on my headphones, on my CD player, trying to make it not skip when we would hit a bump, yes. you know. And, uh, you know, I, 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 got, I got that CD from a friend, you know what I mean? And it was mm. so, like, it was so pure. And things were just handed off to each other. And 
And then, you know, uh, I tell him about when we, when you started to be able to burn CDs <laughs> and we were like, Oh my gosh, dude, I'm going to burn you. And then you can burn MP3s on CDs. So you can burn, you know, 80, you know, 120 songs on one CD. And um, I remember just making playlists like all day and then just going to school and just giving them to all my friends, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was, that was so awesome. And it sucks for this generation because they're not going to be able to experience that, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, like a Spotify playlist just doesn't have that same weight of sending it to someone. Right. I send like music recommendations to mates and stuff still, but it's like through WhatsApp and you know that they're going to half read it, but they're going to be doing something else. Well, when you were like younger and you gave someone a CD, you go listen to the whole thing that night. Yeah. yeah. But, and then yeah. you knew it was good. Cause I remember I lent my mate a Chimera CD and I didn't get it back for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That, it, it, uh, it, like like with everything there's there's the good and the bad you know and it and it sucks you know i share i'll make playlists you know on my apple music and and i'll share them with him because like he's got apple music and um i'll just send him stuff and i'll be like dude here's a here's a punk rock playlist you know and you know send him a bunch of stuff and you know he's like oh i like this I like this band fear. These guys are awesome. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so it's funny. And then he started and then he like sent me a eighties playlist and it had everything from, um, I want to know what love is to like salt and pepper. To like, <laughs> it was so random. And I was just like, that's awesome. You know? <laughs> so there, there's good in that, you know, to where they can seek out literally anything and they, you know, but he still discovers salt and pepper. Yeah. which is just like you know i'm proud but i'm also disappointed yeah it's crazy excited. the salt and pepper is yeah. a legacy act now I, yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah but like that's that kind of feeling i think is what makes like roots fans really interesting because it's not a mainstream genre in any way shape or form so you know that when people find this type of stuff they're like they're music fans and like they're digging deep into those things because you can, you kind of, I think Johnny Cash is like the gateway to when you listen to his American recording stuff. Yeah. And then you kind of like fall down the rabbit hole of things. But with your like roots music and things, how have you seen it progress from your first record to now and the kind of audience reaction to it as you've gone through? So the first album I did with the Hangdog Hearts. So I've got, um, seven i have them hanging on my wall i was just gonna make sure i counted them right um i've got seven that i've done total mm. um the first one was with the band and those guys well in the middle of recording i lost the whole band and those batch of songs like i was writing to try to make them happy that you know one guy wanted to play like rebel roots like hank three style like rebel country stuff um Another guy wanted to play like real rockabilly. Uh, another dude wanted to play like, you know, Dropkick Murphys type Celtic punk stuff. So I'm trying to write all these different songs to make everybody in the band happy because mm. they all wanted to play different styles of music. And that kind of was what the first album was. Um, and I, <laughs> it's not online. The first four albums aren't available anymore. I don't have them online or anything, but you know, from there to 
Sawe. Um, I feel like Sawe was the first time that I was like, this is what I was really trying to get these songs to yeah. sound like all these years, you know? And then each, each album, I think, I think if anything's progressing and growing, it's just my ability for mixing mm. and, and, um, recording i think that's getting better and better with each album i can't remember who this was uh some famous musician somebody's gonna know that hears this but he said you learn how to make out you learn how to make records by making records mm. so i feel like that's all i'm doing is i just i just keep making albums and i'm, I'm getting a little bit better and mm. learning a little bit more each time you know um yeah cool man and what's the future so you've got a new single or a new track from like the upcoming record coming out shortly yeah so end of this month uh standing in the rain will be out um the end of this month so the end of every month i'm gonna have a song out mm. uh, and that should go till about september or so um the last couple songs i might just release those at the same time like mm. the last oh, two cool. three songs yeah. all at once um but uh and then to make way for uh, hopefully something special on Halloween. Oh, like, sick. Yeah. So hoping to get something nice and creepy out, you know, yeah. people. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, we're hitting past the hour mark and I don't want to keep you too long. Yeah. Your afternoon, you've got a whiteboard of songs that I'm sure yeah. need your attention <laughs> and yeah. stuff. But after you've got the Halloween thing, do you see like live shows coming back like around where you are or what kind of the plans yeah so right now i've got a handful of stuff booked and kind of um a lot of things a lot that's relative right now <laughs> compared to last year <laughs> i got a ton of things booked now i've got a hand handful of things actually booked that are supposed to be happening and then i've got things that are waiting that they're waiting to see if the event's going to happen to where i'm going to play yeah um I think I'm going to have more opportunities to play this year than last year, but it's definitely not going to be like normal life. You know, um, I might have to keep creating opportunities to play this past Friday, actually, when my last song, the home, my newest song came out, we actually had a concert at, at my church. Mm. They let me use their building. Oh, cool. And, um, it's a 23,000 square foot room. And a cap of 20, 2,200 people, but they had it dwindled to 700 people. And then, you know, that was the 700 was the cap for COVID reasons. So through a concert and I think a couple hundred people came out and it was awesome. And um, so I might have to look for more things like that to do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Man. Well, I'll let you go for the, uh, Rest of thing, but I'll definitely be looking at like keeping an eye out for you trying to come up. And I'm I'm always down for something creepy on Halloween. All right, <laughs> awesome, brother. And that is episode 26 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I don't know how long I'm gonna keep saying Into the Van, Into the Bag, but until people get sick of it, I guess I keep will saying it. Um, yeah. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy the people I get to talk to, please tell your friends. Please go check out Austin Sterling's music. I've put links in the description of this uh, podcast. Until the next time, guys, stay safe. Peace. <laughs>